guided meditation offered some ways to cultivate mudita, altruistic, sympathetic, appreciative joy. So what do you do about envy? Do you just let it gnaw away at your heart, increasing bitterness and creating a kind of pickled quality? And what do we do about anger, complaining, complaining about this and that, and especially other people? What do we do about comparing mind, this habit of conceiving of ourselves, conceiving of someone else, and comparing who's better, who's worse? We have a very comparison-centered culture, even if Good meditators pretend we, we don't do that. But it, it shows up even in things like meditation posture or people. They ask a question about, what do I do with all this happiness? And <laughs> Well, damn it, I don't feel any happiness. <laughs> or criticalness the kind of mind state that's nitpicky and finding fault and, and judging. The kind of mind that judges. And by the way, be careful if you catch yourself, that's me. Please don't identify with this stuff then you're even more lost. But just notice, oh, yep, that happens. You don't even have to identify where it happens. We know where it happens. But just, yep, that's familiar. That's familiar. So what do we do about this stuff? Envy, anger, comparing, complaining, uh, criticizing, judging. One thing we learn in a meditation center like this is how to pay attention to it, to notice it, and to just rest in a kind of non-reactive awareness so that we no longer feed it and perhaps even begin to understand what's going on. That's one very valuable approach. But Buddhism offers other approaches. Sometimes we're not able to just be mindful. The envy, the resentment, the criticalness may have some momentum. 
in some cases built up over 20, 30 years. And honestly, we're not very mindful, even if we're supposed to be, although nobody really says we're supposed to be. It's just what we practice towards. Sometimes a skillful response is mudita, appreciative joy. We tend to hear more about metta, loving kindness, even to the extent it becomes the, the blanket response for certain kinds of emotional troubles. And we hear a lot about compassion and in so-called mindfulness and insight meditation places, we hear a lot about equanimity. Today I'm promoting the third of the divine dwellings, mudita. As I said earlier and tried to evoke in the guided meditation, mudita is to be happy or glad about someone else's happiness rather than using or abusing someone's happiness to do some unhealthy emotional trip like envy. We can learn to just be happy about somebody's getting a new job that they're glad to have, even getting a new car, or their child graduating from university. And ours, you know, they're still in their sixth year and they're never going to finish and the debts are piling up. I'm only guessing. I don't have kids. <laughs> We have horses, and it's possible, you know, when your horse is misbehaving and somebody else's horse is being so good. Or you see a more advanced rider. I'm not advanced at all. My wife is. But uh, can be envious that somebody really knows horses. Or I'm envious of the poly scholars. I know a lot about early Buddhist teachings, but I don't know the Pali language very well, though I may know it a lot more than most of you. But I'm envious of the real Pali scholars. I'm just a kind of so-so amateur. Envy, and classically mudita, is offered as an antidote to envy. Generally, you'll hear metta antidotes. Uh, anger, mudita, often antidotes envy. Though I would say some of our anger is has a heavy envy comparison component, and then metta may not be that effective. Mudita may be more effective, although they're not super far apart. Envy arises out of perception. 
And often we're not mindful enough to catch that it's a perception even, and much perception is imagination. We perceive, imagine, assume somebody's got something, a better job, for example, but we don't know the office politics. You know, we might be just going on a few superficial perceptions. It could be hell, but we imagine it to be better than my job. Because there's two perceptions involved. One is the perception about the other person, and then there's the self-perception. I'm, you know, oh, so-and-so is such a great meditator. I'm just a kind of rinky-dink meditator. Or so-and-so's kids are so well-behaved. I mean, who wants boring, well-behaved kids? But some people do. <laughs> Especially when yours are bouncing off the walls and whining and screaming and getting arrested. <laughs> Which is what my parents had to deal with. <laughs> Only three times, but. <laughs> Sometimes there's reality, but the reality doesn't matter so much. It's the perception that somebody's got something or is something that we value. And then that's paired with the perception, I don't have it, or I have an in inferior version or amount. Oh, somebody's so nice. I'm not so nice. Or, Somebody's smarter than me, or knows more than me, or more creative, a better this, a better that. And then perceiving ourselves as having less of it, or being not so good in that regard. And whether or not there's truth to this isn't the issue. It's there's perception. Because some of us will start getting rational, and but it's true. And then we make ourselves miserable with our imagined truth. And then the other key piece is comparison. Envy feeds on comparing minds. If you just perceive someone as being successful, talented, brilliant, creative, lovable, beautiful, whatever, it's not, you know, that doesn't have to be a problem. But as soon as you bring in self-perception and comparison, some nasty ego stuff tends to come up. It may not be envy. You might just start trashing yourself. That's another thing <coughs> we sometimes do when we do these unhealthy comparisons. But I'm trying to stress. It's in the imagination. Even if others around us are agreeing, yeah, you are kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but that's their imagination. One of the ways that things like mudita can serve us 
is to turn the tables. If we become aware of these kinds of perceptions and the comparing, and if it brings up stuff like envy, bitterness, resentment, criticizing, often I find when I criticize, I'm there's something like envy. There's a defensive quality to the attack. So if we notice these things, we, we have the option of counteracting it or antidoting it. Things like envy are poisons. They, they do a lot of damage in the heart, even in the body. They, they pollute how we see the world. They mess up how we relate to others. Why not antidote it? If one wishes, one then can cultivate mudita to find opportunities. In the guided meditation, I started with easy stuff. Hopefully, everyone has at least one thing in our life that we're glad for. Something, someone that we appreciate. It could be personal qualities, talents. It could be gifts others have given us. It can be great things in the natural world. A politeness that someone showed us or an act of kindness. So there's plenty to be appreciative of. And here, I often think in terms of gratitude. And there's a joy to that. When we really appreciate, respect, and are grateful for things in our lives, internal things, things around us. We can nurture that with appropriate attention. So our capacity to appreciate and be glad for, grateful for things gets stronger. There are people for whom this comes, there are people towards whom this comes easily. There are people we love, respect, honor. Maybe not all of them, but some qualities, abilities, accomplishments that we don't, we don't get caught up in the envy thing. Like for me, my teacher. He smart, was smarter than me, knew more than me, wiser than me, etc. But I didn't envy that. I wanted to learn from it. And there's an easy respect, gratitude, and joy about the qualities in him that I honor and respect. And there are a lot of people like that in my life. So to take the time to appreciate 
to be glad and grateful for these qualities that are all around us. Sometimes, you know, if we have habits of mind like criticalness and bitterness, we might have to make some effort to look around. But with all these kinds of practices, once we find one opportunity for appreciative joy, then it's easier to find the next and the next and the next. And then we grow that capacity. This can be a long-term process. Same with metta, loving kindness, friendliness, benevolence. Same with compassion. Actually, mudita and compassion are counterparts. When we have metta, kindness, friendliness, and there's a situation of suffering, compassion, the, the metta becomes compassion. When there's metta and we encounter happiness, success, well-being, then the metta becomes mudita. So these divine dwellings um, interact like this. With all practice, it's a choice. Mindfulness, and these, these aren't mindfulness practices per se, but they require mindfulness. The original term the Buddha used, sati, means to bring to mind. Mindfulness is to bring something to mind. So when I've spoke of think of someone, you bring the person especially qualities to appreciate. You bring those to mind and you hold them in, the, in mind, in heart. And just let that have its natural effect. You don't have to do a lot. You just let it happen by bringing it to mind. And if there was enough skill in selecting the quality to pay attention to, of course, often we pay attention to qualities that make us upset, angry, um, greedy, stuff like that. But we can bring to mind qualities that easily evoke appreciation and gratitude. And then we, we nurture that. We learn to hold it gently and let it grow. And because it's a joyful experience, once we give in to it, sometimes we're holding back, you know, I'm not into this stuff. Um, isn't this just brainwashing myself? Who cares? It's healthier than, you know, oh, I'm kind of not going to go there. I mean, it's your choice anyway, but when we choose and give it space, it grows. It's a natural process. And then we become more familiar with it. We learn how it works. 
And then we can extend it to the more difficult situations where there's, there's some nasty envy or bitterness or resentment. We can use it on the, just the petty little criticisms that come up. And as we develop skill with mudita, we can use it to heal the more, um, more deeply entrenched forms of envy and bitterness and related stuff. So one, one, well, so to summarize quickly, mudita is one way to access joy in our lives, a kind of sweetness. The world looks different when we appreciate. Uh, I have a very critical mind, and unfortunately, when I listen to the news, it gives lots of food. <laughs> And the world looks rather dim. It's one reason we have ducks and horses. The ducks are really fun. The horses are wonderful. So are the cats. And a lot of other things and people. So it brings joy and sweetness into our lives. Now, I'm, I'm not saying we should just hang out there and be kind of Peter Pan. Because there's a lot of pain and suffering, too. But I see to have healthy compassion requires having healthy mudita. Because most of us can only interact with so much pain, so much violence. And to be honest, most of our society is in serious denial about how much cruelty and violence is going on. And mudita is one of the things that will give us the strength to be genuinely compassionate as well. And mudita is a way to heal ourselves from poisons like envy. And then there's a third way that mudita is spoken of in the earliest teachings Mudita is primarily spoken of as it was in the chant we began with. The chant is all four of the Brahma Viharas, the divine dwellings, including the third Mudita. These are called boundless or measureless liberations of heart. When mudita is still about a specific person or thing, it's considered bounded. It's limited by its object. But when we learn to just rest in mudita itself, and the same applies with metta, with compassion and equanimity, when we 
it doesn't mean you push away the objects, but you kind of unhook the appreciative joy so it's no longer dependent on thinking of a certain person, situation, or quality, and immerse more and more fully into the appreciative joy itself. And as we can rest in that, learn how to expand it. I tend to just imagine it opening up and moving outward in all directions. The in front, behind, left, right, above, below is a traditional thing in the chant. What first direction, second, third, fourth. And you can be creative and play with that, but the thing is to ride the expanding mudita. You don't ride it. Awareness does. And as mudita opens up, so does awareness. And don't think of this in mathematical or cosmological terms. It's very subjective. But the more it opens, the more vast it becomes. Something kind of shrinks and drops, and that something is you. Instead of me doing it, me being it, the release is the heart's release from self-centeredness. There doesn't have to be a me at the center of this. Let it just be appreciative joy. And when it's this wide open appreciative joy, it's boundless. And that's called heart's or mind's release. In this case, through appreciative joy. That's another powerful way to explore mudita. And it's why these are called the divine dwellings, or homes of the gods, because they're godlike or divine in that they're not trapped in our, our self-conceits, the who I am and the petty ego business of me and mine. For a while, that can drop away. And there's this boundless release or liberation. It's rather beautiful. And if you find yourself wondering, well, I, I got this far. Was that far enough? Forget it. Just keep exploring. And when that noisy little comparing mind slips in, well, he said this, and this is, forget it. Just keep re-evoking the appreciative joy and explore how to open it. And at times, it really opens. And might find it a good way to spend half an hour or, or a minute.
So those are some reflections on appreciative joy. We have some time for questions, comments, observations. My question is, I'm just trying to figure out how to <clears throat> apply it. One of the things that I think about a lot is that, I mean, I'm really excited when other people receive something, get something. I get, I'm just, I'm elated. There's one thing, though, and I'm really elated for them, too, when they retire. I have this thing about retiring. So I don't know if it's considered an envy, but I, I'm ecstatic that they're retired. But I don't know how to get myself beyond the point where I well, I wish I was retired, too. Well, envy is when, you know, envy's got a bitter quality. So if you're really happy for them and not just pretending to yourself, if it's genuine happiness, then that's mudita. So your issue might not be envy. It's just you don't like your job and you want to retire. <laughs> and so your, your issue is, it's called the craving, it's called vibhava dhanha. You want something to go away. And then at times you're craving what you want to be, which is called bhava tanha. So it, it doesn't sound like envy is the issue. If it was, you would find yourself being somewhat snarky. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, mudita is defined as to be happy for the happiness, success, well-being, accomplishment of someone else. So happy for no reason might just be happy. <laughs> so I. I was thinking that the second level where you detach, you're uh, appreciative joy or gladness from anything. Okay. <laughs> it's partly about the quality of the happiness. Like metta is joyful, but it's a different quality than mudita. Compassion is a kind of joy, but it's a much more, for me at least, bittersweet. Um, so I would, one, I wouldn't worry about it. If it, I would be concerned not whether it's mudita or not, just is this, is this a grounded, healthy happiness? Or is it kind of an intoxicating, distracting happiness? I'd be more concerned with whether it's wholesome or not. Um, what is unwholesome happiness? 
when you're happy at the misfortune of someone else, or when you're so caught up in your happiness you don't notice that somebody's really sad because their father died and you're, you're busy telling jokes or you just got back from some wonderful vacation and a coworker's husband or wife had a heart attack and you're oblivious in your happiness. Or you less obnoxious one might be kind of drunk on the happiness and then there's not much mindfulness. And then like any kind of intoxication, it start, it'll start going sour. There'll be a bit of a hangover. Whereas healthy, wholesome happiness can support practice. And the unwholesomeness isn't necessarily the happiness itself. It's either in the source or the engagement with the happiness. Become possessive, become proud, clinging or something. Sounds like the kids are here. more opportunity for mudita. Everybody, uh, we're going to sing "Breathing In, Breathing Out" today, which you may know, or I believe is on page forty-four in your book. If you don't, sit or stand here.
that's all we got for today. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.